Welcome to Dreamful Podcast, bedtime stories for slumber. I would like to start off this episode by thanking our newest Patreon supporters, Kaylee Peck, Tori Felter, Johnny Etheridge, Janet Glowitz, Marila Malajushka, Michelle Batiste, and Aaron Geladeris. Thank you all so much and I hope you have the sweetest of dreams. If you find value in Dreamful and would also like to help support the show, please visit dreamfulstories.com where you can find info about the show and on the support page, there's a link to become a Patreon subscriber. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to bonus content and perks like voting on future episodes or being automatically entered into giveaways. But stay tuned, I will get to that in just a minute. One of my favorite ways to wind down and mellow out is with a good old-fashioned jigsaw puzzle. So I was ecstatic when Unidragon sponsored the show. Unidragon creates vibrant and dreamy wooden jigsaw puzzles that are just as challenging as they are beautiful. I have seen these puzzles all over my social media lately, and I immediately had to get my hands on one. Each puzzle is a different theme, and the detail that goes into them is spectacular. Even the actual puzzle pieces are shaped like woodland animals, dragons and medieval knights, sea creatures, or unicorns and princesses. Unidragon is giving dreamful listeners 10% off their puzzles until August 1st, 2021. Go to tinyurl.com unidragon or search for Unidragon on Amazon and use code DREAMFUL at checkout for 10% off your order. This discount is only valid on Amazon.com, and I have put a link in the show notes. There are so many things that can affect sleeping habits, and mental health is definitely one of them. That's why this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs with a quick and comprehensive survey and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours in a safe and private online environment with the convenience of skipping an uncomfortable waiting room. Send a message to your counselor anytime and receive timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, schedule weekly video or phone sessions. This service is available for clients worldwide and you can find a licensed professional counselor that specializes in your specific needs, whether that be depression, sleeping, family conflicts, trauma, and much more. Best of all, it's more affordable than offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Start living a happier life today. As a listener of Dreamfall, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com dreamful. Again, that's BetterHelp, help spelled H-E-L-P dot com slash dreamful. Patreon members voted on this episode's story, and to be honest, I was crossing my fingers that this would be the winner. They did not disappoint, because in this episode, I will be telling a whimsical, dreamy adaptation of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. I actually purchased a gorgeous edition of this book, and you can find pictures of it on the Dreamful Instagram and Facebook accounts. I am giving this book away to one of my lucky Patreon members, 
So if you want to be entered in the drawing, head on over to our Patreon page and get signed up by Friday, June 4th, 2021. So, snuggle up in your blankets and have sweet dreams. she had peeped into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book, thought Alice, without pictures or conversations? Suddenly, a white rabbit with pink eyes ran close by her. There was nothing so very remarkable in that, nor did Alice think it so very much out of the way to hear the rabbit say to himself, Oh dear, oh dear, I shall be too late. But when the rabbit actually took a watch out of his waistcoat pocket, Alice started to her feet, for she had never before seen a rabbit with either a waistcoat pocket or a watch to take out of it. And, burning with curiosity, she ran across the field after him, just in time to see him pop down a large rabbit hole under the hedge. In another moment, down went Alice after him. The rabbit hole went straight on like a tunnel for some way, and then dipped suddenly down, so that Alice found herself falling down what seemed to be a very deep well. Either the well was very deep, or she fell very slowly, for she had plenty of time as she went down to look about her. She looked at the sides of the well, and noticed that they were filled with cupboards and bookshelves. Here and there she saw maps and pictures hung upon pegs. Down, down, down. Would the fall never come to an end? Then suddenly, down she came upon a heap of sticks and dry leaves, and the fall was over. Alice was not a bit hurt, and she jumped up onto her feet in a moment. The white rabbit was still in sight, and away went Alice like the wind, and was just in time to hear him say as he turned the corner, Oh, my ears and whiskers. How late it is getting. She turned the corner 
but the rabbit was no longer to be seen. She found herself in a long, narrow hall, which was lit up by lamps hanging from the roof. In the hall she came upon a three-legged table, all made of solid glass. There was nothing on it but a tiny golden key. Alice's first thought was that it might belong to one of the doors in the hall. But alas, the locks were too large. However, behind a low curtain, she came upon a little door about 15 inches high. She tried the little golden key in the lock, and, to her great delight, it fitted. Alice opened the door and knelt down and looked along the passage into the loveliest garden you ever saw, but she could not even get her head through the doorway. So she went back to the table half hoping she might find a book of rules for shutting people up like telescopes. This time, she found a little bottle on it, which certainly was not there before, said Alice, and tied around the neck of the bottle was a paper label with the words, Drink Me, in large letters. It was all very well to say, Drink Me, but the wise little Alice was not going to do that in a hurry. No, I'll look first, she said, and see whether it's marked poison or not. For she had never forgotten that if you drink much from a bottle marked poison, it is almost certain to disagree with you sooner or later. However, this bottle was not marked poison, so Alice tasted it and very soon finished it off. What a curious feeling, said Alice. I must be shutting up like a telescope. And so it was indeed. She was now only ten inches high, but when she got to the door, she found she had forgotten the little gold key. When she went back for it, she found she could not possibly reach it. She could see it quite plainly through the glass, and she tried her best to climb up one of the legs of the table, but it was too slippery. Soon, her eye fell on a little glass box that was lying under the table. She opened it, and found in it a very small cake, on which the words eat me were beautifully marked in currants. Well, I'll eat it, said Alice, and if it makes me grow larger, I can reach the key. She ate a little bit, holding her hand on the top of her head to feel which way it was growing, and she was quite surprised to find that she remained the same size. So she set to work, and very soon finished off the cake. Curiouser and curiouser, cried Alice. Now I'm opening out like the largest telescope that ever was. Just then, her head struck against the roof of the hall. In fact, 
She was now more than nine feet high, and she at once took up the little golden key and hurried off to the garden door. Poor Alice, it was as much as she could do, lying down on one side, to look through into the garden with one eye, but to get through was more hopeless than ever. She sat down and began to cry, shedding gallons of tears, until there was a large pool all around her. After a time, she heard a little pattering of feet in the distance, and she hastily dried her eyes to see what was coming. It was the white rabbit returning, splendidly dressed, with a pair of white kid gloves in one hand and a large fan in the other. He came trotting along in a great hurry, muttering to himself as he came, Oh, the Duchess, the Duchess. Alice felt so desperate that she was ready to ask help of anyone. So when the rabbit came near her, she began in a timid voice, If you please, sir. The rabbit started violently, dropped the gloves in the fan, and scurried away into the darkness. Alice took up the fan and gloves, and as the hall was very hot, she kept fanning herself all the time she went on talking. Dear, dear, how queer everything is today. How puzzling it all is. But presently on looking down at her hands, she was surprised to see that she had put on one of the rabbit's little white kid gloves while she was talking. How can I have done that? She thought. I must be growing small again. She soon found out that the cause of this was the fan she was holding, and she dropped it hastily just in time to save herself from shrinking away altogether. Alice, a good deal frightened at the sudden change, but very glad to find herself still in existence, hastened to the little door. But alas, it was shut again. I declare it's too bad, that is, she said aloud. And just as she spoke, her foot slipped. And in another moment, splash, she was up to her chin in salt water. It was the pool of tears she had wept when she was nine feet high. I wish I hadn't cried so much, said Alice, as she swam about. Just then, she heard something splashing about in the pool a little way off, and she swam nearer to make out what it was. She soon made out that it was only a mouse that had slipped in like herself. She began, Oh mouse, do you know the way out of this pool? The mouse looked at her rather inquisitively, but it said nothing. The pool, by now, was getting quite crowded with the birds and animals that had fallen into it. There was a duck and a dodo, 
a lorry and an eaglet, and other curious creatures. Alice led the way, and the whole party swam to the shore. A very strange-looking group that assembled on the bank. The birds with draggled feathers, the animals with their fur clinging close to them, and all dripping wet and uncomfortable. The animals at once consulted and argued about the best way to dry off. Then the dodo proposed a caucus race. What is a caucus race? asked Alice. Why? said the dodo. The best way to explain it is to do it. There was no countdown, but they all began running when they liked, and left off when they liked. After half an hour or so, the dodo suddenly called out. That everybody had won, and assigned Alice the task of giving prizes. The animals gathered round, and luckily she had some sweets which were not wet, and there was just one for each of them. The party were anxious she too should have a prize, and as she happened to have a thimble, the dodo commanded her to hand it to him, and then, with great ceremony. The dodo presented it to her, saying, "We beg your acceptance of this elegant thimble." And they all cheered. One by one, the whole party gradually went off and left her all alone. Poor Alice began to cry again, for she felt very lonely and low-spirited. In a little while, however. She again heard a little pattering of footsteps in the distance. It was the white rabbit, trotting slowly back again, and looking anxiously about as he went, as if he had lost something. And she heard him muttering to himself, "The Duchess, the Duchess, oh my dear paws." Very soon, the rabbit noticed Alice. And called out to her in an angry tone, "Why, Mary Ann, what are you doing out here? Run home this moment, and fetch me a pair of gloves and a fan, quick now!" And Alice was so much frightened that she ran off at once in the direction it pointed to, without trying to explain the mistake it had made. Surprised he'll be when he finds out who I am. But I'd better take him his fan and gloves. That is, if I can find them. As she said this, she came upon a neat little house. On the door of which was a bright brass plate with the name W Rabbit engraved upon it. She went in without knocking, and hurried upstairs, in great fear. Lest she should meet the real Mary Ann, and be turned out of the house before she had found the fan and gloves. She had found her way into a tidy little room with a table, and on it a fan and two pairs of tiny white gloves. She took up the fan and gloves, and was just going to leave the room, when her eye fell upon a little bottle. 
that stood near the looking glass. I know something interesting is sure to happen whenever I eat or drink anything, she said to herself. I'll just see what this bottle does. Before she had drunk half the bottle, she found her head pressing against the ceiling. She hastily put down the bottle, but alas, she went on growing and growing, and very soon had to kneel down on the floor. She tried lying down with her arm curled around her head. Still, she went on growing, until at last she had to put one arm out the window and one foot up the chimney. After a few minutes, she heard a voice outside. Marianne, Marianne, said the voice. Then came a little pattering of feet on the stairs. Presently, the rabbit came up to the door and tried to open it, but with Alice's elbow pressed hard against it, that attempt proved a failure. Alice heard it say to itself, Then I'll go to the window. After waiting till she heard the rabbit just under the window, Alice spread out her hand and made a snatch in the air. She did not get hold of anything, but she heard a little shriek and a fall. She waited for some time without hearing anything more. At last came a rumbling of little cartwheels and the sound of a good many voices all talking together. We must burn the house down, said the rabbit's voice. And Alice called out as loud as she could. Oh no, you don't. There was a dead silence instantly. And after a minute or two, they began moving about again. Alice heard the rabbit say, A barrel full will do to begin with. A barrel full of what? thought Alice. But she had not long to doubt, for the next moment, a shower of little pebbles came rattling in at the window. Alice noticed with some surprise that the pebbles were all turning into little cakes as they lay on the floor. So she swallowed one of the cakes and was delighted to find that she began shrinking directly. As soon as she was small enough to get through the door, she ran out of the house and found quite a crowd of little animals and birds waiting outside. They all made a rush at Alice the moment she appeared, but she ran off as hard as she could, and soon found herself safe in a thick wood. The first thing I've got to do, said Alice to herself, as she wandered about in the wood, is to grow my right size again. I suppose I ought to eat or drink something again, but what? Alice looked all around her at the flowers and the blades of grass. There was a large mushroom growing near her, about the same height as herself. 
And when she had looked under it, and on both sides of it, and behind it, it occurred to her that she might as well look and see what was on top of it. She stretched and peeped over the edge of the mushroom, and her eyes immediately met those of a large blue caterpillar sitting on top with its arms folded, quietly smoking a long hookah and taking not the smallest notice of her or of anything else. The caterpillar and Alice looked at each other for some time in silence. At last, it took the hookah out of its mouth and addressed her in a languid, sleepy voice. Who are you? said the caterpillar. Alice replied rather shyly, I hardly know, sir, just at present. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning. But I think I must have changed several times since then. Explain yourself, said the caterpillar sternly. I can't explain myself, I'm afraid, sir, said Alice. Because I'm not myself, you see. I should like to be larger. Three inches is such a wretched height to be. It is a very good height indeed, said the caterpillar angrily. It was exactly three inches high. In a minute or two, the caterpillar got down off the mushroom and crawled away into the grass, merely remarking as it went, One side will make you grow taller, and the other side will make you grow shorter. The other side of what? thought Alice to herself. Of the mushroom, said the caterpillar, just as if she had asked it aloud, and in another moment, it was out of sight. Alice broke off a bit of the edge with each hand, and nibbled a little of the right-hand bit to try the effect. The next moment, she felt a violent blow underneath her chin. It had struck her foot. She managed to swallow a morsel of the left-hand bit. The next minute, she had grown so tall that her neck rose like a stalk out of a sea of green leaves, and these green leaves were the trees of the wood. But, by nibbling bits of mushroom, she at last succeeded in bringing herself down to her usual height. I'm never sure what I'm going to be from one minute to another. However, the next thing is to get into that beautiful garden, Alice said. Just then, she was startled by a Cheshire cat sitting on a bough of a tree. The cat grinned when it saw Alice. Cheshire cat, she said, would you please tell me where to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to go, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice, so long as I get somewhere. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if only you walk long enough. 
Alice tried another question. What sort of people live about here? In that direction, the cat said, waving its right paw round, lives the Hatter. And in that direction, waving the other paw, lives a March Hare. Visit either you like, they're both mad. But I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. And it vanished quite slowly, beginning with the end of the tale and ending with a grin, which remained some time after the rest of it had gone. I've often seen a cat without a grin, thought Alice, but a grin without a cat is the most curious thing I ever saw in all my life. She had not gone much farther before she came in sight of the house of the March Hare and walked towards it rather timidly. There was a table set out under a tree in front of the house. The March Hare and the Hatter were having tea at it. A Dormouse was sitting between them fast asleep, and the other two were using it as a cushion, resting their elbows on it and talking over its head. The table was a large one, but the three were all crowded together at one corner. No room, no room, they cried out when they saw Alice coming. There's plenty of room, said Alice indignantly, and she sat down in a large armchair at one end of the table. The Hatter had been looking at Alice for some time with great curiosity opened his eyes very wide, and said, Why is a raven like a writing desk? Alice thought over all she could remember about ravens and writing desks, which wasn't much. The Hatter was the first to break the silence. What day of the month is it? asked the Hatter, turning to Alice. He had taken his watch out of his pocket, and was looking at it uneasily, shaking it every now and then, and holding it to his ear. Alice considered a little, and said, The fourth. Two days wrong, sighed the Hatter. I told you butter wouldn't suit the works, he added, looking angrily at the March Hare. It was the best butter. The March Hare meekly replied. Alice had been looking over his shoulder with some curiosity. What a funny watch, she remarked. It tells the day of the month and doesn't tell what o'clock it is. Why should it? muttered the Hatter. Alice felt dreadfully puzzled. I don't quite understand you, she said as politely as she could. Have you guessed the riddle yet? The Hatter said, turning to Alice again. No, I give it up, Alice replied. What's the answer? I haven't the slightest idea, said the Hatter. Nor I, said the March Hare. 
Alice sighed wearily. I think you might do something better with the time, she said, than waste it in asking riddles that have no answers. If you knew time as well as I do, said the Hatter, you wouldn't talk about wasting it. It's always tea time. We've no time to wash things between whiles. Then you keep moving round, I suppose, said Alice. Exactly so, said the Hatter, as the things get used up. But when you come to the beginning again, Alice ventured to ask. I want a clean cup, interrupted the Hatter. Let's all move one place on. Really, said Alice, confused. I don't think. Then you shouldn't talk, said the Hatter. This piece of rudeness was more than Alice could bear. She got up in disgust and walked off. Neither of the others took the least notice of her going, though she looked back once or twice, half hoping that they would call after her. At any rate, I'll never go there again, said Alice, as she picked her way through the wood. It's the stupidest tea party I ever was at in all my life. Just as she said this, she noticed that one of the trees had a door leading right into it. That's very curious, she thought. But everything's curious today. I think I may as well go in at once. At last, Alice found herself in the beautiful garden, among the bright flower beds and the cool fountains. In it was the Queen's croquet ground. The Queen of Hearts was very fond of ordering heads to be cut off. Off with his head was her favorite phrase whenever anybody displeased her. She asked Alice to play croquet with her, but they had no rules. They had live flamingos for mallets, and the soldiers had to stand on their hands and feet to form the hoops. It was extremely awkward, especially as the balls were hedgehogs, who sometimes rolled away without being hit. The queen had a great quarrel with the duchess, and wanted to have her head off. After the game of croquet, the queen said to Alice, have you seen the mock turtle yet? Said Alice, I don't even know what a mock turtle is. Is the thing mock turtle soup is made from, said the queen, and he shall tell you his history. They came upon a griffin lying fast asleep in the sun. Up, lazy thing, said the queen, and take this young lady to see the mock turtle. I must go back and see after some executions I've ordered. Alice and the griffin had not gone far before they saw the mock turtle in the distance, sitting sad and lonely on a little ledge of rock. And as they came near, Alice could hear him sighing as if his heart would break. This here young lady, said the griffin, she wants for to know your history. Once, said the mock turtle at last with a deep sigh, I was a real turtle. 
When we were little, we went to school in the sea. The master was an old turtle. We used to call him Tortoise. Why Tortoise if he wasn't one? Alice asked. Because he taught us, said the Mock Turtle angrily. Really, you are very dull. We had the best of educations, reeling and writhing, of course to begin with, and then the different branches of arithmetic, ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision. I never heard of uglification, Alice ventured to say. Well then, the griffin went on, if you don't know what to uglify is, you are a simpleton. Alice said, What else had you to learn? Well, there was mystery, the mock turtle replied, counting out the subjects on his flappers. And how many hours a day did you do lessons, said Alice, in a hurry to change the subject. Ten hours the first day, nine the next, and so on. What a curious plan, exclaimed Alice. That's the reason they're called lessons, the griffin remarked, because they lessen from day to day. That's enough about lessons. Now come, let's hear some of your adventures, said the griffin to Alice. So Alice began telling them her adventures from the time when she first saw the white rabbit. After a while, a cry of, the trial's beginning, was heard in the distance. Come on, cried the griffin, and taking Alice by the hand, it hurried off. What trial is it? Alice panted as she ran, but the griffin only answered, come on, and ran the faster. The king and queen of hearts were seated on their throne when they arrived with a great crowd assembled about them, all sorts of little birds and beasts, as well as the whole pack of cards. The knave was standing before them in chains with a soldier on each side to guard him, and near the king was the white rabbit, with a trumpet in one hand and a scroll of parchment in the other. In the very middle of the court was a table with a large dish of tarts upon it, they looked so good that it made Alice quite hungry to look at them. I wish they'd get the trial done, she thought, and hand round the refreshments. But there seemed to be no chance of this, so she began looking at everything about her to pass away the time. Harold, read the accusation, said the king. On this... The white rabbit blew three blasts on the trumpet, and then unrolled the parchment scroll, and read as follows. The Queen of Hearts, she made some tarts, all on a summer's day. The Knave of Hearts, he stole those tarts, and took them quite away. Call the first witness, said the king. The first witness was the Hatter. He came in with a teacup in one hand, 
and a piece of bread and butter in the other. I beg your pardon, your majesty, he began. I hadn't quite finished my tea when I was sent for. Take off your hat, said the king to the hatter. It isn't mine, said the hatter. Stolen, the king exclaimed. I keep them to sell, the hatter added. I'm a hatter. Give your evidence, said the king, and don't be nervous, or I'll have you executed on the spot. Just at this moment, Alice felt a very curious sensation, which puzzled her a good deal, until she made out what it was. She was beginning to grow larger again. I'm a poor man, your majesty, the hatter began in a trembling voice. Only the March Hare said, I deny it, said the March Hare. Just take his head off outside, the Queen said to one of the officers. But the Hatter was out of sight before the officer could get to the door. Call the next witness, said the King. Imagine her surprise when the White Rabbit read out at the top of his shrill little voice the name Alice. Here, cried Alice, quite forgetting how large she had grown in the last few minutes. She jumped up in such a hurry that she tipped over the jury box with the edge of her skirt, upsetting all the jurymen onto the heads of the crowd below, and there they lay sprawling about, reminding her very much of a globe of goldfish she had accidentally upset the week before. Oh, I beg your pardon, she exclaimed and began picking them up again as quickly as she could. "'What do you know about this business?' the king said. "'Nothing,' said Alice. "'That's very important,' the king said, turning to the jury. They were just beginning to write this down on their slates, when the white rabbit interrupted. "'Unimportant. Your majesty means, of course.' he said in a very respectful tone. Presently, the king, who had been for some time busily writing in his notebook, called out, Rule 42, all persons more than a mile high to leave the court. Everybody looked at Alice. I'm not a mile high, said Alice. You are, said the king. Nearly two miles high, added the queen. Well, I shan't go at any rate, said Alice. Besides, that's not a regular rule. You invented it just now. It's the oldest rule in the book, said the king. Then it ought to be number one, said Alice. The king turned pale and shut his notebook hastily. Consider your verdict, he said to the jury, in a low, trembling voice. No, said the queen, sentence first, verdict afterwards. Stuff and nonsense, said Alice loudly, the idea of having the sentence first. Hold your tongue, said the queen. I won't, said Alice. Off with her head, the queen shouted at the top of her voice. 
Nobody moved. Who cares for you? said Alice. She had grown to her full size by this time. You are nothing but a pack of cards. At this, the whole pack rose up into the air and came flying down upon her. She gave a little scream, half of fright and half of anger, and tried to beat them off, and found herself lying on the bank with her head in the lap of her sister, who was gently brushing away some dead leaves that had fluttered down from the trees upon her face. Wake up, Alice dear, said her sister. Why, what a long sleep you've had. Oh, I've had such a curious dream, said Alice. And she told her sister, as well as she could remember them, all these strange adventures of hers. And when she had finished, her sister kissed her and said, It was a curious dream, dear, certainly. But now run into your tea. It's getting late. So Alice got up and ran off, thinking while she ran, as well as she might, what a wonderful dream it had been. But her sister sat still, just as she left her, leaning her head on her hand, watching the setting sun, and thinking of little Alice and all her wonderful adventures, till she too began dreaming after a fashion. She pictured to herself how the same little sister of hers would, in the aftertime, be herself a grown woman, and how she would keep, through all her riper years, the simple and loving heart of her childhood, and how she would gather about her other little children, and make their eyes bright and eager with many a strange tale. Perhaps, even with the dream of Wonderland of long ago, and how she would feel with all their simple sorrows, and find a pleasure in all their simple joys, remembering her own child life and the happy summer days.